This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 316. Every time I sit down with a new client, my first question is never where you are. It's where do you want to go? Because it doesn't matter where you are now until we've clarified what you want to do. Hello and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm Jeff, your host. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I began Read to Lead because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of your plan. The Read to Lead podcast will help you narrow this reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Each week, we're joined by one of these authors to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, leadership, entrepreneurship, and more. In just a moment, we'll sit down together with Pierce Mars. He's author of the new book called Could You Survive Shark Tank? The Shark's Top 7 Questions Every Entrepreneur Must Answer. I'll ask Pierce to share about why being able to answer these seven questions is key to your business success, some of the characteristics of great partnerships, what his experience has taught him about the importance of having a plan, and plenty more. If after today's conversation you want to dig in a little deeper, get to know Pierce a little better, or find out more about his new book, simply visit the show notes page I've created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 316 for episode 316. Pierce Mars has served as host and producer of the popular Shark Tank fan podcast since 2011. With 35 years of experience as a sales professional, Pierce consults with a variety of business owners on how to navigate the rough waters of entrepreneurship. Uh, His new book, the one we're talking about today, and actually when I first got it, I was thinking for some reason, Pierce, that this came out like last year. This is like 2020. Uh, It's called, uh, Could You Survive Shark Tank? The Shark's Top 7 Questions Every Entrepreneur Must Answer. He's my friend, and I'm so excited he's here. Pierce, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, I am so honored to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Well, something I wanted to to jump in on right away, because I just appreciate this so much about you. You and your wife, like me and my wife, um, are dog lovers. Tell me about, uh, about your dogs. Oh man, I, I did take them out of the office because my youngest, <laughs> my youngest one tends to have a little bit of a snoring issue. And, uh, uh, I, I, we have two English Mastiffs mm. and, uh, one of them is almost four years old. He weighs 230 pounds Wow! and, and we have a puppy that is one year old who is, uh, about 170 pounds and he's the one with a snoring problem. And <laughs> I really think it would have been distracting during the show. The older one's name is Jones, and the uh, younger one is Doc Holliday. We just felt like that was appropriate. <laughs> I love it. I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I tell him that pretty regular, and he just looks at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, in regard to uh, to your new book, I think it's safe to say, and, and I would I would imagine you agree, that most business owners or in business owners-to-be are never going to appear on on Shark Tank or even apply. But why, though, is it crucial for anybody who owns a business or desires to someday own a business, Pierce, be able to answer many of those uh, exact same questions? 
Well, that's a great question, and I ask myself the same thing. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's that's the thing. The book is not written for the just a handful of people that will win the lottery and get to be on hmm. Shark Tank. I mean, it's so small of a percentage versus I think they get forty or fifty thousand applicants each hmm. season, and uh, you know we're talking about one hundred and twenty businesses that get to uh, get to be on. So it's a small number, and and that's not the idea. I, I was a fan of the show. And, and been podcasting for a long time. And what happened as being a coach and working with entrepreneurs in the real world and also hosting this podcast, talking about these millionaires and billionaires that are investing in these entrepreneurs, there started to be some correlations. Mm. And those correlations become huge when they make the difference in a real person's business. All this stuff is real. On Shark Tank, they're using real money, their money, to invest in real businesses. And so it, it transfers over into the real world. So if you're somebody that has an idea, and boy, I really dream of, of being an entrepreneur, or you, uh, you know, you've started a business and you're struggling, or you already have an established business, the questions that the sharks are asking pertain to you. When I, when I wrote the book, the vision was designed to have people look at their business through the eyes of a shark, through the eyes of an investor. Michael Gerber mentioned that in, in the, in the e-myth, he wrote the e-myth, he mentioned that you should build your business as if you want to sell it. Now, he doesn't mean that you have to sell it, but build it as if you're going to sell it because – when you do that, you look at the right metrics, you build the business correctly, you want to make it look right to somebody that's looking from the outside world. Well, the same thing here, the questions in this book make some makes an entrepreneur look at the proper metrics in his business to grow, to be able to grow a thriving, profitable business. The questions themselves, believe it or not, get ignored. <laughs> And what you have found over the years of doing this podcast, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is certainly there are many, many questions that the sharks ask over the course of uh, you know, season after season. But all of those questions kind of boil down to one version or another of these seven. That's exactly right. When it comes time to negotiate, there's certain things that they want to know to decide whether they can invest their money and take a ride along with you on this uh, on this business. Now, one of those questions relates to valuation, and I think that question gets to what you were just talking about. If you're someone who's never going to sell your business, you might be asking yourself, well, why is knowing the answer to that question of valuation still a valuable exercise? It's, it's, it's because I think, as you said, you need to think like an investor, and, and if you do that, your, your business is in a much better place. Well, looking at it as if uh, you're trying to evaluate it allows you to look at the parts of your business that are important to somebody else. And by doing that, you create a more profitable business. People that are not looking to sell their business or to look at the value of the business, they're so busy in the day-to-day -day workings mm. of trying to keep everything going and stay in that whirlwind of keeping the business going that they fail to look at some of the key components that, that lend to profitability to long-term success, long-term planning, and that sort of thing. I've seen it happen over and over again with guys that I'm working with. They're just too busy in the business to work on it. So again, one of those questions that uh, entrepreneurs on Shark Tank often get asked is, is how did you come up with that valuation? So that's one of the seven. We won't get to all seven, but another one of those seven. And the one that's usually first out of the gate is, do you have any sales? Uh, talk a bit about this idea of having uh, 2020 20 vision for your business that, that one of your guest contributors uh, shares about in the book? Well, as you know, I mean, as soon as they get through with the pitch 
and they've passed out the samples and everybody is, uh, you know, ready to get started with this negotiation. It's usually Kevin O'Leary. who's going to say, well, that's a pretty cool evaluation. Now tell us about your sales. Right? <laughs> so he wants to know, is your business viable? Is there somebody out there that would take their wallet out and buy what you have? And they believe that if, if nobody's buying it, then why should they invest in it? I had, uh, I've had a good friend of mine for several years. Her name is Emily Chase Smith. She lives in California and she was a former bankruptcy attorney attorney. We were speaking together at an event in Colorado and I got to meet her and become friends. And she wrote a book about money management because of what she learned being in the courtroom working with businesses that were going bankrupt. She saw the same issues over and over and over again. And in her contribution to this book, which is very valuable, she shows you how you can take 20-20-20 vision and change the whole complexion of your business. And what that means is she wants you to take one hour a month if you're an established business, if you're if you're brand new, you might or if you have some kind of new investment you're trying to make, you might, might want to spend more time doing that. But if you've got an established business, spend one hour a month. Make sure your bookkeeper gives you a clean P&L report and you sit down and look at your numbers. Take an hour out. This is the problem, Jeff. Most people would look at me and say, when am I going to find an hour to do that? <laughs> because they're already working so many hours. Right. But Emily says, if you sit down and, and carve out an hour and spend 20 minutes looking at that P&L, studying it, looking at the numbers, looking at the profit, looking where the money's going, and then take 20 minutes to sit back and think about that. A full 20 minutes, set the timer, and then take the next 20 minutes to write down what you have thought about, what you've learned, and how you're going to make changes for the upcoming month. And it, it's just a matter of giving the business money part of your company the attention that it deserves. It's different with every personality because mm. most of the entrepreneurs and business owners I know of are pretty good salespeople. They're, they're a lot of times they're good leaders. They know how to, they know how to get the work done. They're hard workers, but they always seem to leave the money part, you know, kind of over here on the side and I'll get to that when I can. Mm. Uh, sort of related to that. Um, it goes to another question in the book. What have you learned uh, Pierce about how to, and, and, and maybe how not to, finance a business? Well, I've been in sales for 30 something years. I've owned some businesses and I've worked with a lot of people and uh, debt is not your friend. In my opinion, I believe that, uh, you know, you should what I call bootstrap a business if you can. And, you know, the statistics show that, you know, most businesses can be started for less than $10,000 or $5,000 or in some cases, even $1,000. There's a lot of businesses that don't require a huge amount of money to get started. And what I found out is the less debt you have, the less money you have to borrow, the less other people that you owe money the more fun it is to have have the business and enjoy the profit and be able to to uh, you know to grow quicker and and make the business more fun. Ken Julian from Atlanta, Georgia, wrote a chapter, told his story about how he bootstrapped his company. He used to be a youth pastor making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and he built his speaking and coaching business uh, debt free. And, and he has went on to great success. He's invested money in real estate, and he's really setting up a legacy for his family because he chose to bootstrap the business. And so, when I see Shark Tank, and they're always going to ask, "Where'd you get the money to start your business?" And if and if a guy says, "You know, I." 
I took $700 and I went out and I sold these things and then I got somebody to make them. And now I did, I've done $150,000 and I kept $50,000 profit last year. You know, that doesn't seem like big numbers. Didn't seem like shark tank numbers, but that is more attractive than somebody that's got a $3 million business that is losing a hundred thousand a month and has borrowed a 1.2 million to finance that business. Mm. And, and also they, maybe they have two or three investors that own half the company. You can see the difference. It's just less attractive. It's not as healthy for the entrepreneur going forward. And it's not any fun for a shark to go along on a ride like that, where they don't know what kind of decision-making the, uh, the business owner is going to make. And he talks about in that section, Kent does, about the three years working the side hustle while working his regular job. And in my side hustle, I was working for about three years before it took off and I was working on it full time. And I wished I had done what what Kent had done where he, I think he said he only made like 4,000 the first year and then 24 the second year. And I think it was 68 the third. But each of those years he was putting away and saving half of whatever he made and then taking the other half and reinvesting it in himself and conferences and mentors and coaches. And I just thought that was so smart. It was money that he didn't have to depend on. That way, when he jumped out on his own, he, he had this sort of nest egg. Plus he had learned so much at the same time in that process. And I thought, man, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was it was brilliant the way he did it. It was well-planned, well-executed. Uh, our friend Dan Miller, who uh, was also a contributor to this book, mentions that, you know, when you get a side hustle up to about 50% of what your regular income is, you may be ready to go ahead and move to full-time in that business mm-hmm. as well. But but he, he, he once again, there's no nobody I know who's more of an entrepreneur than Dan Miller. And he still believes that you ought to keep your job until you can see a way to bridge that gap and, and, and move over to the to the business adventure or whatever new thing you want to do. So mm. it's it's a big deal to, to watch the money. I mean, because most people don't. They ignore it. They dive in and they go too far and um, and usually they end up regretting it. You know, one thing I'm enjoying about this conversation, Pierce, is all the mutual friends we're making mention of that later when this uh, when this goes live, I can go to them and say, hey, we talked about you. <laughs> Check out this oh, episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's the, that's the thing. I, I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. I couldn't have done this book by myself Mm. because, you know, I'm a sales guy. I've owned some businesses. I have some experience. I've succeeded. I failed. You know, I've had some things going on. But when it comes to the experience that a bankruptcy attorney brings or Dan Miller, who's been in business his whole life, uh, you know, they bring some expertise. Deb Deb and Gino, we're going to talk about in a moment. They, They all have different experiences and different expertise. And I, I don't have everything. I, I go to other people for some of that. I'm, I try to stay in my wheelhouse and, and do what, what I can do. Jimmy Gibson, you know, he wrote a chapter on branding. I couldn't explain to anybody what branding is, except, you know, it's what they, you know, what they burn onto a cow out there in Texas somewhere, you know, and, uh, he breaks it down in a way that makes it make sense, you know? So Mm. it's, uh, a lot, lot more interesting. And again, to bring a few few people along for the ride, they've really it's really going to make it valuable for the reader, I think. I think I heard somebody break down branding this way. It's essentially what people say about you when you're not in the room. Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's a great one, isn't it? I love it. Well, one chapter asks the question, uh, do you want or need a partner? Um, I know for me, uh, some of my most successful ventures are those I partnered with somebody else on. Uh, looking back at the last several years, it dawned on me that, oh, all these things that I've had the most success with are those, you know, what are, what are some of the characteristics in your view and what you've learned of a great partnership? 
there's a lot of conversation about that. I mean, most people are very cautious about telling you, you know, should you get into a partnership because they've had bad experiences. Mm. And uh, Deb and Gino, who is a incredibly wonderful coach, she's an executive coach for people, and she she runs the uh, Strength Leader Company, and uh, she she wrote the chapter on how to create a great strategic partnership, and she does such a thorough job of going through all the things that can go well and can go wrong, but the but the number one thing that she mentions that I think is important is that you have the same values. You don't want to go into a relationship where you're unequally yoked, I guess. Um, you want you want somebody that sees the world in the same way you do. They see money the same way. They see how to treat people the same way and that sort of thing. And so, you know, having the same values is great. Having the same vision, that's the tough part, I think. I think a lot of times partners start out with the same idea about how they want to move forward in the very beginning. It's all exciting. It's all new. We, we know what we want to do. And as the business succeeds, then somebody may say, well, I think we ought to do this. And you and you disagree. I, I know um, one of my clients is an attorney and they were very successful working together. They, they, he had a partnership, equal partnership in a law firm with another guy. And about, you know, a few years in, the guy started making decisions that were completely against the values and the vision that the other guy wanted the company to be about. And so he uh, he, he pulled the plug and started his own own business. And he was able to do that easily. Sometimes it's not. It depends on how the, the partnership is structured and are you, you connected contractually where it's going to affect your assets or, you know, you know, that sort of thing. So it's one of those things that needs to be discussed because Shark Tank is when an entrepreneur walks in there, he is asking for a partner. He's saying, I, I want I want you to invest in my business and become a part of what we're doing. There's a great story in, in the book where a guy has a chance to get on Shark Tank and chooses not to. And because he didn't think he needed a partner and he mm-hmm. didn't want one. And so it's a, it's one of those things that you have to decide, not just for the the, the time being, this person has the same values. They they bring so much to the table. Maybe that person is somebody that uh, has skills and connections that are really going to be valuable to the business. It's just something that you need to walk into with your eyes wide open and be very careful because they, just like you mentioned, every successful you know venture you've had has had a partner and that's great. And I, I would bet that you went into those with your eyes wide open because it can ruin a friendship. It can, uh, you know, it can destroy family relations and every, everything else if you do it the wrong way. And you're right about uh, values. That That's the starting point for, for me. If, if I don't have a sense that the person's values is in alignment with my own, I mean, it's there's not even a discussion of a partnership on the table. Um, I love a couple of the quotes you, know, you include in the in the chapter on um, what is your plan? Question uh, seven. There's, there's one from Picasso, I think it is, that there is no other route to success, essentially, then with a plan. And then Warren Buffett, I mean, he's pretty successful, right? An idiot with a plan can beat a genius without a plan. I like to think of myself as an idiot with a plan. I'm not necessarily the smartest guy in the room, but by golly, I got a plan. You know, Warren Buffett, he, he tends to make us feel like we could be as rich as him, too, sometimes. <laughs> you know, he's, not, he, he's so uh, he's relaxed with his demeanor. He doesn't believe that, uh, you know, he's just so calm and relaxed to be a billionaire. It's mm-hmm. funny. But yeah, having a plan. I, I believe that plans can change. I believe plans ought to be re- reviewed regularly. Mm-hmm. But I believe that there needs to be a path. There, there needs to be something that's written down. I, I think if you just try to wander from one day to the next and just hope something happens and hope it works out, it's not going to go well. And so every time I sit down with a new client, 
I ask them a question. My first question is never where you are. It's where do you want to go? Because it doesn't matter where you are now until we've clarified what you want to do. There's a story I included, kind of a case study in the book uh, about a lady who had her own business and uh, she wanted to have me as her coach. And and so we sat down and I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to sell my business. I want to grow it and sell it. Mm. All right. So we started going down that road. It took two years. But uh, while I was finishing this book last year, uh, she sent me a text message and said, I just signed the contract. It took a long road. But if she had not sat down and started looking at what she needed to do, what her plan was going to be to get it ready to sell, she'd have never had a chance because the books were a mess and she was doing everything herself and she was working herself to the bone. And so having a plan allows you to ask the three questions. Where do I want to go? Helps you evaluate where you are now. And what do you need to do to bridge that gap? I mean, it's just, it's got to be something that you're constantly doing is asking those three questions on a regular basis. And you've got to review it on a regular basis. That example you just mentioned, if I remember correctly, uh, part of the reason she wanted to sell was because she wasn't enjoying it anymore. And part of the reason she wasn't enjoying it anymore was because things were in such disarray. But as you began to help her dig a little deeper into getting this ready to sell, she started enjoying it more, right? I mean, she did eventually or is in the process of selling, but she got to like it again at the end of it all. She did. She really enjoyed it. I believe she would have kept the business if she had not started having ailing health. The hours she was putting in and everything she was doing was really starting to affect her health. And uh, and she's not a, not an old person at all. She's a young lady, and uh, it was really starting to affect her. But that was the funny thing. When she got real clear, this is the great part about having a plan. <laughs> when she got a bookkeeper to spend hours and hours and hours with her so that she knew exactly what her profit was, what her material cost, what where she was making money, where she wasn't making money, and where she was going to spend her time. One of the big things that happened, Jeff, is is that she was in 44 Kroger stores and probably could have went nationwide. But her product was requiring them to do some demos at certain Kroger stores. And the effort she was making to sell wholesale to Kroger, she was making less money in 44 Kroger stores than she was making at farmer's markets and online and all the other things she was doing. So the biggest decision we made, do you want to keep Kroger? And she finally made the decision. I don't. And most people, once again, would think, why would you stop selling in Kroger when you, that's the biggest grocery store in the country. Well, when she did that, she started working in the areas where the where it was the most profitable and it was the most fun. She's a great salesperson. She's excited about the product she's invented and she can be with people and do all those things. So her whole demeanor changed, her energy changed, and she started having fun again. And she told me, she said, you know what, I'm, I'm really I'm really enjoying my business for a, for a change. So that's, that's all part of having a clear plan and knowing how to make good decisions. Mm. Well, I've got a couple of other questions I'd love to ask you that are directly related to the book, Pierce. But before I do that, anything else from the book I haven't asked about uh, you want to make sure we know or uh, walk away with? It, it'll make you think more clearly about how you want to move forward. And I think it'll make you profitable quicker. I just think if uh, if you follow this plan, you know, this, this comes from 10, year, 10 or 12 years of coaching and podcasting and 30 years of being in sales and running businesses. I remember uh, when Seth Godin was on your show, I think he used the term, it's annoying to bring a book in the world. I think that's an exact quote. And uh, I've been working on this for a long time and it is annoying. It's not just a joyous, happy experience when you're trying to work and do all the other things. But at some point in time, I had to decide whether I was going to abandon this 
or move forward. And, and I, I consulted with some close friends and that I shared this with and, and I talked to my wife and, and I said, I really believe this can help people. And so with that, I said, I'm going to push forward and make this happen. And I'm really, really happy with the way it turned out. I believe people that read it will get something out of it. Well, I would concur. I'm so glad you didn't abandon the project and glad we had a chance to sit down and have coffee when people still did that a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Way back then. <laughs> and, and have you share it with me. Well, when it comes to reading, as somebody I know who loves to read as much as I do, particularly, Pierce, reading to learn, what are some things you do to help retain what you read or ensure that you're going to actually act on something that you learned or read about? That's a great question. I love to read. I don't do as well when I have two or three books going. I usually like to, <laughs> to get one and go, but sometimes I catch myself, you know, I'll be in the middle of three and I think you need, you need to get focused and finish this thing. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mostly read nonfiction and, uh, I think you and I talked when we had coffee about, you know, I, I read some fiction every now and then for fun, but most of the books I read are nonfiction. And when I go through those books, I usually uh, highlight, make notes, that sort of thing. But one of the things that I, th I think has helped me the most is that I have an accountability partner that when I'm reading a book and when I'm wanting to implement things, I, I don't just keep it to myself. I mm. share it with him. We have a, we have a standard talk every Friday morning. And when we, when we do that, that's, that's what we talk about. We talk about what we're reading, what we want to accomplish and what we want to put in place. And that has worked best for me. I can get scattered. I can get too busy with a lot of stuff. I'm not one of those real anal focused individuals. So I have to really make sure that, uh, that I have somebody keeping me accountable to what I promised I'm going to do. So that's the way I do it. I love that. I, I do some variations on that, usually as a part of other meetings, but I like having sort of a one-on-one -on -one committed to that process, to reading a book and to making sure that, that you're going to actually take action on them. That's, that's an awesome, awesome piece of advice. Well, uh, when it comes to books, what would you say are a couple, maybe three, however many you want to list that you've encountered over the course of your career that, that have left a lasting impression on you? Well, the first one's easy. When I was 19 and I was living in a rural part of Tennessee and really didn't know what I was going to do with my life, to be honest with you. I was trying to figure some stuff out like we are a lot of times when we're, when we're 19. I had a gentleman who lived in Franklin, Tennessee, which is uh, close to where we live now. He uh, took interest in me. He, uh, I met him through a really odd set of circumstances. He was a very successful salesperson. He was also a clinical psychologist. Odd combination, right? <laughs> but anyway, he, um, we became friends, and he started mentoring me. He believed that I had a real chance of uh, working in sales. So I started riding with him. He started teaching me. He started talking to me about this thing called empathy, which is kind of funny. Most of us are born pretty self-centered. And uh, <laughs> uh, he gave me the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. And that book has probably been one of the most influential books to change the course of my life, my direction, my family tree, because I started applying those principles to my personal life and to working with customers and everybody I, I started working with. And it changed the dynamic. And, uh, you know, I spent my 20s honing those skills and uh, and, and created a, a very successful career in sales. And uh, that sits at the top of the list of, of mm. impact because it was at a timely moment and it was uh, it, it's made one of the biggest impacts uh, on me. I can't not mention the seven habits of highly successful people, Stephen Covey. I mean, that's uh, that's one another one of those those books. Those are two older books. I want to mention a more recent book. 
I do a lot with disc personality assessments and I work with teams on communication and all that. And so I believe different people need different things, mm. but I've got on my desk here. I don't keep many books out, off of my bookshelf on my right here beside <laughs> me. Uh, but, but there's one that I keep and it's, um, it, it's how to focus by Michael Hyatt, excuse me, free to focus. I love that book. Free to Focus uh, was probably one of the books that I absolutely devoured. I didn't put it down till I was finished because it was exactly what I was needing. As you can, if you can imagine, I've been working and running businesses and working on finishing a book and I needed focus. And it, it, it's one of the key things that helped me get this book finished and get it out and do a lot of other things as well. I've enjoyed that. Those, those set on the top, uh, there, there's, I could probably name 10. Those, those three come to mind quickly. Did you know that the Seven Habits uh, book is a 30th anniversary edition coming out in May, I think it is? I did not. It's hard to believe it's been out that long, but yeah, looking forward to that in a couple of months. Well, wasn't, wasn't it voted like the um, most influential book of the 20th century? Or I something? believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. It's just one of those books that if you go back to it and look at those principles right now, and that's the thing about a great book, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's timeless. Uh, Dale Carnegie's book was written, I forget how many years ago it was written way back in the early 20th century. And those principles are timeless. Mm. And, uh, and so is Stephen Covey's. They, they're things that people are still struggling with and dealing with today. That's what makes them classics. Well, as you look ahead to the remaining three quarters of uh, 2020, what's ahead for you? What are you looking forward to you and your team that you're excited about and are able at this point, at least to, to talk about? Well, one of the things that happened from working with other people and having a nice group of, of people around me that keep me focused, uh, the free to focus book, all the other stuff, uh, I learned some lessons. I, I was out doing some speaking and doing some things and I was kind of all over the place on topics and it, it really didn't serve me well. Mm. And uh, so in, in 2019, uh, I became really focused on what I was gifted to do. What, where, where do I need to be spending my time? And, uh, and I focused all my coaching, all my writing and everything on that. I believe the Shark Tank book uh, falls into that category. But at the same time, I have a chalk wall. One of my walls in my office is a chalk wall. So I write goals on there every year. And, and at the top, I always put a word. And um, this year's word is execute, which is why the book came out. But last year had to do with me focusing. I have a sticky note on my computer that says own it. Mm -hmm. And and so you know how the rumble strips on a highway keep you from in case you fall out, you're dozing off or whatever. Make sure you're staying on the highway. Yeah. Well, to me, I need to stay between the rumble strips. I need to I need to stay on focus. I love sales. I love business. But inside of sales and business and any other personal aspect of life, I like talking about communication. And so when I work with teams, I love to talk about how they can communicate better. That's why I use the disc profile. That's why I study body language. That's why I study all these different things is to try to help people get along better. Me and my wife and I were marriage mentors for a while. And, and the, the experience that I had there learning about how people communicate. And, and what's funny, out of all the couples, whether they were newly married or had been married for 30 years, there was an assessment they would take to determine how well they were doing with money and with uh, friends and with family and with fi finances and uh, ra raising their children and communication and all that stuff. It, it, it rated them in all the categories. Every couple lowest score was in communication. Mm. And we found out that if we could improve the communication, 
we could improve the marriage. And so the same way with a, a business, a team, a, a leader, entrepreneur, anybody, if they improve their communication, they're going to be more successful. So that's what's ahead for me. I'm writing a book and I have got a system that I have uh, worked on for the last 35 years. I've got a really cool name for it. And I'm mm-hmm. going, my, that's, the next book's going to be uh, based on that system and uh, teaching people how to do that. I think it's, a, I think it's going to really, really be a, a good thing for people. Well, the book, again, is called uh, Could You Survive Shark Tank? The Shark's Top 7 Questions Every Entrepreneur Must Answer. Uh, Pierce Mars is his name. You can find out more about him at piercemars.com, P-I-E-R-C-E-M-A-R-R-S.com. Pierce, thanks for being here so much. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your expertise, and uh, I hope to have you back when that second book comes out. Thank you so much, Jeff. I enjoyed it. If you'd like to follow up or dig a little deeper, it's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 316 for episode 316. There's also sharktankbook.com for more on Pierce's book. Again, that's sharktankbook.com. Do you have feedback for the show? Maybe questions or comments or suggestions? I'd love to hear them. Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com is the best way to get in touch with me. And coming up in the next few weeks on the show, we'll talk to Pam Marmon, author of the book, No One's Listening, and It's Your Fault. And I'll sit down with Stephen M. R. Covey, son of the late Stephen R. Covey, an author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen and I are going to dig into that 30th anniversary edition I mentioned coming out in just a few weeks. Well, that wraps up another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 